How is it possible that there is a country less than an hour flight from the United States border is literally falling apart into anarchy and you have never heard about it? Welcome to the Conduit Deeper podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series. From current events to fascinating finds, to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to our Deeper Podcast. My name is Mo, campus pastor at Conduit Church, joined with our lead pastor, Darren Tyler, and special guest, one of our really good friends, that traveled all the way from Haiti just to hear you teach on Sunday, Darren. Right? I mean, that's a long trip, just to hear you speak. (laughs) And how disappointed he must have been. <laughs> right. Pastor Gerald LaFleur uh, from Restoration Church. And, uh, man, we are so excited that yeah. you're with us today, Pastor LaFleur. Well, uh, thank you so much, Mo, and thank you, Diane. It's such a pleasure being here. Of course, I will not be disappointed. Yeah. Well, you would be because, here, so what people need to know is that Pastor LaFleur has preached the best sermons of my life. Like, my ser- the best sermons I've ever preached are the ones where he is a... Uh, where he has translated for me. Yeah, so we actually don't know what you were saying. They don't know what you were saying. I mean, he could have been just making stuff up. Oh, he's crushing. Whatever he's saying, it's really good. (laughs) And infinitely better because the response there is better than I ever get here. (laughs) And then occasionally, like, I'll use some metaphor... Uh, and I don't know if you know if you knew this, but you do this, but you'll like look at me with a little bit of like somewhere between irritation and confusion. About, how am I going to explain that sentence? In a, yeah, like the metaphor doesn't translate. Yeah, like that doesn't yeah. explain at all. Uh, and uh, but but then like so like for me it's like one sentence, but for him it's like two paragraphs to try to explain what I just said. So I actually try to not preach very much when I'm in Haiti, just because I'm I'm a one trick pony, and Haitians don't find me funny. Uh, or charming, for that matter. <laughs> you know, have you ever noticed that? I, I noticed that a little bit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they don't find me funny. I got that's all I got. And so, how did you guys meet? And how long ago has that been? It, it was two thousand four. Yeah, almost. It's, it's almost twenty years now. Um, we've been on this journey together. Yeah. When he was not a pastor. <laughs> <laughs> He didn't know that he was a pastor back then when I said, you are my pastor, you yeah, might be shocked. The bishop. Yeah. And that was the beginning of a whole ball game. <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, I was leading a Bible study for you know, kids in their 20s. Yes. And th- it was sort of born out of the idea that a lot of the rock bands I was managing didn't know the difference between like Jonah or Noah. Like they both involved a boat and water, but one of them had a whale and, you know, they... It's like, man, and these are young people that are being asked to present the gospel to large crowds of people. So anyway, we started a little Bible study just kind of like that. And I started, you know, like I thought I invented expository teaching. I didn't know. I just, Acts chapter 1, here's what the Lord has been teaching us this week. So anyway, that's where the Bible study started. And in the middle of that, one of the young guys that was at the Bible study had literally just washed up from Indiana um, to, to be, uh, I guess, so he was working for Toby, uh, McKeon. And I think he was like, you know, get my, he was like Toby's get my Starbucks, uh, my, my pick up my clothes from the dry cleaner guy in, in those days. And he's still there, by the way, 20 years later, um, named Philip Peters. Yes. And how did you meet Philip? I met him when he was 17 years of age. He came to Jamaica with Tin Mania on a short term mission. Mm. 
and back then I was a student at Castle of the Nations uh, Institute, which is one, you know, a sister school from the one in Dallas, Texas. Yeah. So right there, and uh, I befriended him among 320 children, yeah. I mean, young people, and Philip was one of them who became my friend. Um, in fact, was probably the only friend, uh, friend I had among all 320 kids. And But they went back home, and he said to me, when I grow up, I will support what to do for the Lord. And we st kept yeah. in touch over the years by sending emails, I mean, in the in the post office. Like, that used to be fun. Licking stamps and yes, writing letters. Yes, stamps yeah. and all the kind of thing and to get letters out before email was around, before we were very active on cell phones and stuff like that. So we have been through that journey together. And um, when, when he came to Haiti, I mean, he came to Antigua in 2004. Um, yeah, and I was like, you know, you got to get involved in Haiti. And he, from there, from Antigua, he connected me to you and... And the rest is history. Yeah, because at that time, the thing about it is that when you go through the, when you go through the word, the word goes through you, and the word changes you. Like that's just the power of the word of God. And so, what I had no idea that I was doing, I thought I'm, I'm teaching the difference between Joah and Jonah and Noah. And what I'm really doing is I'm actually the word of God is going through me. And one of the things I was really noticing was something I had missed my entire life, which is how much God spoke about the poor, the powerless, the widow, the orphan. Not in a social justice way, but in a Jesus way. Yes. And I'm like, wow, I, I've never really done any of that before. You know, and I was reading, you know, I get to Matthew and uh, the least of these brothers of mine. Have, you know, did you feed me? Did you? I'm like, nope. Did you clothe me? Oh crap, nope. Uh, did, you know, did you visit me while I was in prison? Nope. I'm literally like, I'm four for four on no. Uh, you know, and when you go to a university, or whatever, if they if they tell you what the questions are on the test ahead of time, like that's you should be able to crush that test, right? Because I already know the questions, and I'm like, oh gosh, I am I am bombing this test. And it was right around that time that I met you, and the story that you had uh, was so compelling. And as that, yeah. So as the Bible study grew, it grew into this thing where we wanted to help you. So we started this little nonprofit uh, called Conduit Mission. And yeah, the rest is history. I, I don't know. Um, I honestly don't know how much. Uh, and, and it's I, I don't know because it's not my money. We've just literally been a conduit of resources. And then you guys have always been such a shining example of trust on the other side that hey, we send money for a school and then there's a school we send money for a clinic and then there's a clinic we you know we you know we didn't we did it slowly at first but that's just because we yeah. only had a couple hundred bucks like we'd send you a couple hundred bucks and you'd send us a picture of cinder blocks you know yes. remember those days? i remember those days where when you know we get a hundred we get 200 and we say we buy two bags of cement we bought this this amount of cinder blocks and we're gonna put them we're gonna pay this worker that amount and then this is what we have done yeah but it it didn't start maybe i'm wrong maybe it did but i don't think it did it didn't start as a a, a church and then a clinic and a school and all these things at once, right? I mean, what was the first part of that ministry there in Jacmel? Let yeah. me say, when we showed up, we saw empty land and empty people. I mean, empty pe land and empty people. Empty That's, people. Yep. People who think, well, it's like, how can we make it? Will we able? We'll be able to make it. And when we sh when we came there with that word of hope, and we say, you know, that there is hope in God. We say God is a God of transformation. He can transform you. He can restore your life and make something good out of you. And we began to prophesy over that land. I remember we walked the place. We have a lot. Of, we do a week of prayer or walking around. Just walked around and said nothing. Just praying and speaking into the earth. In essence, we are proclaiming what we hope to see happen. Yeah. So we were prophesying over the land. And we say life will be from this land. And there will be people who will, who will finish school. Even though we have now kids roaming the streets. Don't go to school. But there will be kids will, that will be finishing school going to university. We didn't see any health care. We said there will be health care in this community. 
So we began to do all these things as the Bible says. You speak to the things to the things that are not as though they were. So we begin to call them forth because we believe that everything is there already. But we don't know. We have to, to use the creative power and in in due time, and God gonna bring the steps to bring them to pass. And that's exactly what happened. And um, we and from there we had a big crusade in a community where church never survived. Only six months, if they ever last that long, mm -hmm. because of all the dynamics of voodoo, all the dynamics of poverty and everything. But we saw after that crusade, 200 souls came to know the Lord. And our very first Sunday morning service was with 100 plus people. And God turned that around. And with that Christ, we say, establish the flag of Christ first. Then from there, everything else would have fallen in line as the Lord began to bring people in our lives. And that's exactly what happened. And we say also, Conduit and Darren uh, is, and Philip Peters and others, they are what we call answers to our prayer. And they are part of what we call the fulfillment of our prophetic word that we have been speaking and declaring over the land of Haiti in Jacksonville, particularly wherever we are. Mm. So Restoration Church yeah. was the first, like the cornerstone of that community. Yes. And bro, it was like, the first time I saw it, the, I, I'm trying to explain to you how underwhelming this building was. Um, people in our city would not keep their lawn tractors in, in this building. And this is where this church met. Yeah. But, you know, one of the things that LaFleur taught me over the years is you just got to start with what you got. If you wait till you're ready, you'll never start. So you just start yeah. with what you have. And when they started with what they had. And this started, by the way, before he knew that I was coming along or that Philip was coming along. You know, this was literally... Uh, in fact, that's why I wrote a chapter about it in my book because, like, I this is literally what what it means to have the gift of prophecy from Romans twelve, which is, I saw hopelessness, I saw emptiness, and he saw a school and he saw a clinic. And by the way, all those things are what what exists right now. Yes. And the idea that we've even done now with the community transformation was born out of watching you do that, realizing oh, when Jesus people be, uh, become disciples of Jesus. Yes. I mean, if you remember, like, remember the, 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 the medical teams from Temple Church? Of course. Right? Of course, yeah. <laughs> How could you forget? Uh, they, uh, Griff and those guys, but one of the things I remember, uh, we, we always had a gynecologist, which, by the way, if you're at a party and there's a gynecologist or a proctologist, plant yourself next to them because the stories are hilarious. But the, uh, the gynecologist was saying how she was interested, it was interesting how modest the girls were. Because in most countries, she'd, she'd done this in other countries, and they'd come in and have no problem just completely dropping all their clothes. And she, But here they were very modest, and and they talked about the lack uh, of tr sexually transmitted diseases and the lack of teen pregnancies. And so what was happening was these Jesus people were becoming Jesus people. And, uh, and of course, it's not 100%, but it's like you, they've literally changed the trajectory of teen pregnancy in this yes. community, changed the trajectory of sexually transmitted diseases in this country. And when a voodoo temple shuts down because the voodoo priest finds Jesus, like Over Nelson, yes. you know, mm -hmm. um, that mom, the single mom that was taking her chicken to get a curse removed, yes. didn't have anybody to take her chicken to anymore. Like she's like, it's, you know, it's all, it literally transforms it from the inside out. And it to me now is, a, is actually a, uh, a beacon of light in a really dark country. So like it's it's not lost on me. It wasn't 2004 when the the coup happened. The first one. The yeah, first one. Yeah, the first one. I have to narrow that down, right? Yeah. So literally, like the first trip, like our little teams were taken down there. We were completely blissfully unaware. There was no social media. There was no Twitter. 
and a, a, literally a military like a coup had happened. The country was already in, in dire straits. Fast forward 2010. And by the way, there's like 10 hurricanes and everything in oh, between. In yeah. between. <laughs> um, and 2010, this massive earthquake happened, yes. um, which that was all over uh, the national and international media. And thankfully, it was, right? Uh, but But in the last... It seems like about three, three years ago, maybe four, because that was, I, I've, COVID was like a leap year, you know, like we just yes. skipped that year. Um, but when school was shut down for a year because of protests and manifestations and um, like it was already beginning to fall apart. Uh, last summer, the president was assassinated. Yeah. Um, drug gangs have now taken over. Sixty uh, percent of Port-au-Prince, the city that is literally the size of Los Angeles, sixty percent of it is now considered completely lawless. By my, my question for you, Lafleur, so you've lived through multiple coups, hurricanes, earthquakes. Is this the mm-hmm. most complicated time in Haiti's history? Um, I actually feeling it right now. I say to me, this is like our darkest moment. Haiti has been through rough, rough time, but yeah. in in my I'm only forty-eight, and um, during my years um, as a child coming up. Um, we have seen a rough moment, but we say this moment is darker. Yeah. Um, imagine just the president get killed last year, July. Um, in August last year, we had an earthquake. Um, you know, the part of Haiti that affected the entire south, great, the great south of Haiti, um, which is, I mean, four different departments affected. Um, it's, it was just everything in turmoil. And then now we have all these bad guys who decided, you know what, we're going to split the country. <laughs> we're taking over different parts and... They keep taking more grounds, more grounds, taking grounds, um, and so and then they're not making life easy for our people. So food shortage get I mean getting a heavy blow because even though the boats arrive from the U.S. with food in terms of you know the merchant the, the, the merchants are selling their merchandise and bringing their food on the uh, on the ground, but you when you buy first of all to leave the port will be an issue because of all these bad guys. Then move from the port to the whatever wherever you have your warehouse is gonna be another big challenge. So everywhere you turn is problems, and then the food now cannot leave capital to go to the countryside to go to the people. Whether it's food for assistance for from the agencies and the churches, whether it's food from the um, the, the commercial people. So it's like people get stuck um, having a, I mean, a really hard time. So, I mean, and, and inflation is at uh, the highest level ever in the history of our nation. So, I mean, when you used to buy something like cost you, that cost you $3 and now it's $12, so all of a sudden multiplied by four, I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's just hard. Yeah. You know, but the key thing in the midst of all that, guess what? In the midst of crisis, Christ shows up and it continues to have an army for himself. Yeah. And that's what blesses my heart, uh, myself. Um, in the midst of all the darkness and all the turmoil, Christ has always been the light for our people. And that's what we have as the sense of hope. Um, because when you look at it naturally, it's helpless. But you look at it spiritually too, and God is changing the order. And we always say whatever happened in the spiritual aspect also aspect affect the, the natural. So as we're seeing the changes taking place in the spiritual things and, and we are seeing God is at work. So therefore, we believe we are holding sure. We are keeping our fingers crossed. In the time to come, deliverance must come out because of Jesus Christ. Yeah, which is so, again, that's the prophetic gift right there. Like the, the vision and the confidence and the, because I remember when the earthquake hit i had um we'd been working together six years at that point uh i was literally 
getting ready to start a church, which I have joked is the dumbest thing I've ever done. Mm-hmm. But, the, you know, the thing about God is that there's power in doing something stupid. You know, like he, if I knew how it was going to work out, it wasn't faith, whatever. But the, I was being told you have to go out and raise $150,000, send out your mailing list, you know, yada, yada, just to start a church. And, um, but the, the earthquake happened like, when I was supposed to be doing that. And so a couple of things happened to me. One was I learned about what it meant to really trust the Lord. But the other thing was I, I was, to be honest with you, by that point, I was already pretty frustrated with Haiti as a nation in general because of the corruption in, in government. And by the way, there's Actuated. corruption everywhere. I don't know if you've watched the news in the last 24 hours in our country, but there's, there's corruption everywhere. The only difference is our politicians pretend like they're not corrupt. Um, but there was a frustration there. But what I realized as I was watching the news... Uh, that afternoon, January 12, 2010, I didn't know if you were there. I didn't know if you were alive or dead. I didn't know if Fedney was alive or dead. All I'm seeing is just these... I, I saw... It was like... It was 8.2? Yeah, it, it was 7.2. 7.2. I remember seeing it and thinking, this is bad. This is really bad. Because we, if you've been to Haiti, you know the construction and the streets and yeah i mean a 7.2 earthquake say in los angeles versus a 7.2 earthquake in port-au-prince very different outcome. yeah but yeah and it is because by the way it's it's still bad in uh la yes but in haiti like the, the, just for starters the roads like where the, the buildings <laughs> there's very close to buildings are very close I'll together tell you, very. <laughs> so what you ended up with was buildings falling down but into roads and cutting off uh, access to yep. the rest of the country. So, um, but but what was happening? What I realized in that moment was I didn't have a heart for Haiti, but my friends were there. And when your friends are in trouble, like unless you're a coward, you help, right? It's just common. It it's it's not noble. It's just what friends do for each other. And it was such an important moment for me to realize that, like I don't know. I don't know who killed the president. I don't know who's on the police forces on the take and who's not. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. But I know this, that if you're five years old, that is not your freaking fault. It's true. It's just not. And so do we, we can sit around, which is what a lot of people are content to do, sit around and tweet and blog and, you know, and gripe about it. Or do we just say, I can't, so- this problem, I don't know how to solve this one, but God didn't call me to solve this one. But in this little town of Jacques Mal and now in Lake Kai and Port Salut, yeah. there are we have friends there, yes. and we're not going to let them die. We're not going to let that uh, go away. And so that you I mean that's which is what we're even talking about today is like the 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 problem is is massive, and one that really will take a Holy Spirit move of some kind. God knows our country's not going to do anything, and and frankly, I don't think we can. I mean, just to be candid. Uh, the the runaway spending at our nation for the last 20 years, uh, you know, we're living on credit cards. Dave Ramsey uh, would have a heyday because our country actually needs Dave Ramsey services like our nation does because <laughs> we just keep printing money. And so what are we going to do? Um, and at the same time, meanwhile, there are drug gangs. So how many drug gangs technically... We think drug gangs, we think like narcos and the the cartels, and it's kind of a miniature version of that inside of 
Port-au-Prince, but none of them are technically working together. They um, earlier they spoke about there were seventy something gang, different gangs in Port-au-Prince. That's earlier. Seven zero. Seven zero. Okay. That's earlier. <laughs> but now we feel they they multiply themselves. They also oh, there's they, more. Yeah, they grow. Um, they make other cells, um, and so that's what make it even harder to operate um, um, in Haiti and um, in Port-au-Prince. I've used that word in Port-au-Prince. So. Yeah. So it's territories that they never had occupied before. Now they're occupying them. So when they continue to fight, even some, sometimes each other to occupy more territories, um, and that has been um, difficult moment in terms of trying to control them. Because once they're multiplying cells, new cells of, of of bad boys or bad girls are coming together, then it's very difficult to control that. Yeah, yeah. Because we're seeing guns, Mo. Like I've never seen guns like this in Haiti before. Like big Uzis. Yeah, like machine yeah. guns. The stuff that our government calls assault rifles are not assault rifles. These are assault rifles. <laughs> like these are fully automatic, militarized weapons, and they're sure not getting them from like the local gun no. store. Somebody's putting them in there. And so, for instance, it, it, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but it was back in the fall. One of the gangs, because uh, again, you think about everything bottlenecks, including gas, yes. to the country. One of the gangs took over the main gang gas terminal in yes. Port-au-Prince. Mm-hmm took it hostage and said, we're not letting any gas get out of here. No. And in America, like in our country, we would have, we would, you'd have what would be a standoff. On one side, there would be bad guys with guns, and on the other side would be good guys with guns, and eventually there would be some sort of <laughs> shootout or whatever. But as far as I could tell from the Haitian side, like there wasn't anybody on the other side. It was just the drug guys taking, just, we're just taking over because we're going to do. That's and it. shut the gas off to the entire country for almost a month. Yeah, and when they do that, it's a, it's a form of pushing the government to negotiate with them and to give them things that they need, that they want from them. And then whether it's money, whether it's another piece of whatever, whatever. We love to say piece of the pie. So that's what ended up happening. And and it's a lot of negotiation took place on the cover, which we did not know what was the, the outcome, except we see after that full week, almost two weeks, then you see the guys slowly shift away and to allow the, the trucks of gasoline to be moving um, from point A to B. Yeah. So that is um, a big thing. And they threaten, they, they will continue to do it. Um, because every time it's like they say, if we shoot one of these tanks there, we can blow all kind of stuff, and that's the kind of threat they are yeah. uh, putting um, uh, the the points um, area under. Uh, under it's, yeah. it's been very, very, very crazy in the minds and heart of these young fellows. And talking about those guns, more they were they are not simple guns. It, some guns we've seen young men cannot even lift them. Some of them so they have to tie up themselves, you know, just to handle some of these machine guns with bullets that they have things like that, and they're rolling. That what I see in movies. So, yeah, but right. you're seeing them live yeah. with, I mean, um, in the hands of these young people. You're talking about guys 17, 18, 19. They are the kind of um, users, but I feel they are being used by some kind of people. We don't know who they are. Yeah. So there's a mighty hands behind them, but these are the guys that are um, taking over this place that way. Yeah. You talk about getting fuel from point A to point B and food, you know, down the main line. I remember my first trip to Haiti. Uh, in 2016, and so, you know, to get to Restoration Campus, as it were, <laughs> you fly into Port-au-Prince, and then you have to drive over through the mountains yes. to get there. Now, what Darren did not tell me is what the drive <laughs> over the mountains really entailed, <laughs> which, <laughs> which... Would you have gone had you known? Probably 
probably not. Yeah. <laughs> but because the guy driving, what's the what's your driver's name? Edney. 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 He's a fearless man. Who, uh, if okay, so I'm trying to paint this picture. You're driving through the mountains through a series of switchbacks. <laughs> you're going up and over, and on each side of the switchback is just cliffs. <laughs> These are cliffs. He has no fear. He is barreling through this. I mean, these are hairpin turns with cliffs on both sides. I mean, 40, 50, 60 miles an hour coming down the mountain. I I had never, I mean, I was white knuckled to the seat in front of me. Mad. Darren, why didn't you tell me this is what we're doing? Like, Because one wrong move, and you have to remember, like, coming the opposite way is another fearless driver. Yep. Or maybe an oil tanker, mm-hmm. coming a container, or a yeah. shipping container coming the opposite <laughs> right. way, and you are completely blinded. Yeah, and they'll go ahead and just pass on a curve. It's <laughs> unbelievable. I mean, it should be like an Olympic event. Yeah, it's so, unbelievable. So what you don't know, unless you've been done it enough times, is that they they really do have the system, like the, the little horn honks <laughs> yeah. and the beeps mm-hmm. and the yeah. Yes, that's right. I remember that. Uh-huh. Like They're the actually two, two honks was like, hey, we're coming around the They're turn. They're communicating mm-hmm. with each other. And watch out. Um, and it's a, yeah, I mean, even, and you know, there've been close calls. I mean, there certainly have been missionaries whose bodies have had to get pulled out from the bottom of the cliffs, but, <laughs> but, not, but not that many, like on a, on a scale. But of like wonder. their definition of close call and like my definition of close call were vastly different. <laughs> For sure. And, and anybody that's traveled internationally enough knows that when you come back to the U.S., one of the things you have to adapt to is come back to drive like a U.S. citizen. And I will, okay, and I, I'm better at it now, but I'd come back and Shannon's like, gosh, you're like right on that guy's tail. What are you? I'm like, oh, crap, okay. I'm going to calm back down. In America. I'm, I'm in America. We don't drive like that here. Yeah, but, I mean, there's like defensive driving, and then there's like offensive driving. Yeah. Like they're driving very offensively. Yeah. Every man for himself. Offensively and offensively. <laughs> well, it's like a sport there. That's why like when you look in their vehicles, like you don't actually see uh, cup holders even really for because they're not drinking and eating. Oh, while no. This is a literally a full contact mm-hmm. Sport and even there, obviously there are accidents there, but there aren't as many here because in so like in here, someone pulls out in front of me. I'm genuinely surprised and not expecting it and smash into them. Right. In a place like Haiti, and by the way, most developing nations, you're shocked if they don't pull out in front of you. Right. Yeah. Like they see an inch and they they yeah. wave and just take it. Like it's like that's just how it goes. They so they are expecting you to pull out, and it's not like they don't even get angry. There's no road rage for the most part because this is how we drive. There's Everybody literally no expectation off. of it. But yeah, it's a. It was like yeah, but there was something about like a little bit of a beauty in the chaos though. It was yeah. Like, how in the world does this function? Yeah. But it, it does. It's oh, amazing. Yeah. When people talk about you know creating sustainability in Haiti and all that, which is a good, these are good conversations, and I'm like, dude, we need to learn from our Haitian friends. You talk about people that can survive stuff, mm-hmm. like. Apocalypse happens. I'm going to Haiti. Those those guys know how to survive. You know, we're, we'll fold like a napkin here. Like we. Well, I mean, one of the I don't know if it's a benefit. Maybe it is for you, Darren. I mean, now when you go, um, you're not taking that route any longer because you can't. It's it's overrun. Yeah. Um, so you're having to take a, a, a an aviation flight over the mountain, which yeah. can be just as as scary. I don't know. It's exhilarating. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what became a three hour White knuckle trip is yeah. now what? The, the weird minutes, thing, it's like, twenty minutes. That's the thing, man. Fifteen minutes, bro. Oh my word! Up and over the mountain, 
And by the way, three hours and twenty prop. minutes is if it's a good, if it's a good day, like so, a prop yeah. plane. Oh, so they have six hours on that road. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, there's moments where you've sat there. Like uh, yeah. I remember specifically once we're sitting there and like the water is filling up because of the, the sewers or whatever. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to start taking mail here. We're never leaving. <laughs> we're we're going to be here for the rest of our lives. I'm just going to PO box out and just you know this is where I live now. Um, uh, yeah, and I kind of want to paint this picture of 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 reality because it's a hard place to get to. It is. It's not an easy place to get to. It's not yeah. like this, you know, this backside of Haiti that's this uh, little resort fly in and just we're doing ministry there. It's oh yeah, this is a it's a hard place. This is full contact missions. Like uh, when I hear people that are uh, in Port-au-Prince, you know, if I'm being really honest, like inside a little bit, I'm a little judgy. I'm like, well, that's convenient in Port-au-Prince. Now, and by the way, in people in Haiti actually view Jacques Mel as. The safest place. The safest place. Oh, wow. So, mm-hmm. on the bright side, yeah. uh, when I used to like look at the people in Port-au-Prince with a sense of smugness, well, it must be convenient to only have to drive an hour after you get here. And now I'm like, man, thank goodness. Yeah, no kidding. That God has had us driving all those things. Because right now, what, you, what you're right about is that the only way safely to get to Jacques Mel is on a, uh, on a flight. And the only flight that I've been comfortable taking is Mission Aviation, which is an amazing ministry. Google it. Yeah. Uh, born out of a missionary story that well that's a whole other conversation but um and it's you know these uh, for the most part american pilots who have given up their lives yeah. move to a place like haiti and their job is to get missionaries to the hard to reach places wow and so yeah. that's the only safe way in and out right now and it is convenient that it is 15 it minutes is. but it is also very frustrating because what that means is that uh where once there were hundreds of missionaries now there are just dozens because it, you know it's just not safe. Yes, but I think what's also beautiful about that, and an incredible part of this story over the past eighteen years, is the sustainability of the community transformation. So it doesn't. The way things are right now makes it very hard to get there. But the the discipleship and the mentoring and the teaching that has happened over now a generation, technically. They don't need us to come. Oh, 100%. Like the, for me to go right now, the main reason is for them to know they're not forgotten. That's Thank right. You. Yes, indeed. Exactly. You know, they don't need me to fix anything. The friendship, the encouragement of that, the the bolstering that, that happens when you do arrive uh, to say, man, we believe in you. We've got your back. We're here to support you. But this, the, 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 the Bible school and the mentoring that has happened, the discipleship. Now we have how how many churches are have branched out? We have of? about five churches. Yeah. And then right now we we are working with another ministry in Lagunav. That's another island, mm-hmm. and we are sending our guys over there as a support system for that other ministry called Celebrate Jesus. Yeah. Uh, which is uh, with Gift of Love um, International. So they are in Lagunav. That's another part of Haiti. So our guys are um, taking a bus, go down to Miragua and catch a boat. And well, they're yeah. getting on the boat. Oh, they don't yeah. even get on the plane. They got to get no, on the boat. On the boat. Yeah. Does so. this boat involve oars, or is it at least a motor? <laughs> I don't know. A little speedboat. A little speedboat. <laughs> oh, okay, good. Because yeah. sometimes you go by and you see these boats, and they're literally like a, a rowboat. You yeah, know, a, 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 fishing from. a little, a little uh, speedboat, and it's similar. It's just a little whatever, and they put engine on it. So they take them about forty-five minutes to an hour on the on the sea. Like it's open ocean. Uh, yeah, like you're open not like ocean. going across the lake at Tim's wow. Ford. Like yeah, this yeah. Open, ocean. open ocean. Wow. <laughs> go through for forty-five minutes to an hour. Wow. Um, and these guys get on that side, and then they get to get to get motorbike taxi 
um, whether I will take them another hour drive on bad roads, of course, to get on the other point of, because they go to a place called Pointe Raquette, um, and they get the, the get the bike from there to go through to go to what they call Ansagale. Yeah. So it's 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 really pretty much a, um, a kind of just as you said, it's a, it's a whole production to get there. Yeah. But our guys are excited to bring uh, teaching and bring uh, ministry support, um, you know, worship experience. And so, uh, because one thing about Haiti, even though we're going through hardship, but we just love to praise our God. Um, those of us who know God, and if you are this, if you're serving the devil, you praise your devil, whatever. If you're serving God, That's you really pra- go, praising you something praise your God. Yeah, yeah. I know so. What I think is so awesome though is like here we are, almost a generation later, uh, in hmm. in time and investment and um, in hope and encouragement. That Haitians are now discipling Haitians. Yes. Yeah. And that's that's the beauty. That's transformation. Generations later. Yeah. Those uh, lifeless people, who I vividly remember, wouldn't even look us in the eye. They yes. look down. You know. Uh, and I'm reminded of it when we go to a new place like Port Salou or whatever. You start to see people that uh, that are that they're lifeless. And the part of lifeless way. is same way. You know, because poverty, whether it's in America or whether it's in Haiti, wherever, the sh- shame, toxic shame, is associated with poverty, and you don't even understand. It's why you know it's weaponized uh, shame. And but as someone uh, full of the Holy Spirit, and they're starting to get some education. And they're starting to see some opportunities. You know, you can 100% see the difference between, like, uh, you know, Igne, uh, Lemonson, Larry John. These are guys that were kids when I started there. And now they're Jean Marie. <laughs> Let's go, people. You know, um, they're, they now not only look you in the eye, they, you know, they are colleagues. They're not, I'm not there yes. to save them. They're not there to save me. We are literally colleagues working in the kingdom of God together. Um, let me ask you this question um, conspiracy theories your president was assassinated yes last summer okay to date nobody uh, has been pinned down has been pinned down they've arrested upwards uh, of 30 people from Colombia yeah. the country uh, in the middle of all this uh, China has begun to flex their muscle yeah. like they are in other developing nations um one of the things that it could be a coincidence, but it was not lost on me, was that of those guys that were there that night at the palace who said they weren't, they didn't even know they were there to assassinate a president. Yeah. Some of those that got away initially went to the Taiwanese embassy. Um, of course, Taiwan didn't receive them, whatever, but there's a, there's a little bit, was it just coincidence that they happened to be at the Taiwanese embassy? Mm-hmm. Or if these guys were funded by China, are they going to Taiwan thinking they might get some safety in it? I don't know. So that, that, that's my deep dark you know alex jones uh <laughs> oh, did man. china assassinate the president of haiti but who like what do you think what like when people are talking about you're talking with your friends you're sitting around the cafe or eating a fish on the beach whatever who you got what do you think happened uh, we we don't really know the all the dots but are we are we sense that this uh, assassination took place because of conspiracy from international community is that because code for the United States? <laughs> You're safe here. We 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 feel um, United States have a hand in it. Um, we feel also other players that are partners of USA have a have a uh, have a mm-hmm. have a hand in it. Um, because and that's the reason why it is hard to discover who did it. Mm-hmm. Um, because they um, it requires a lot of money 
to cover up those things that they are trying to cover up, um, that people don't talk, um, and so. And um, we also feel um, we are what I call the wounded forsaken by our own. Because we feel America has, has should have been a friend that has been a friend over the years. Then we feel they are forsaking us. Um, so they only pay attention to us when disaster. And after a few months or a few weeks, the disaster is over. Then all eyes turn away from Haiti. Yeah. Um, so we are left by our, um, on our own. And the wolf, the bad wolf can come and, and, and eat us up. But if your offense continue to watch around or to continue to pay attention to us, it will be difficult for the bad wolf to come and eat you up. Mm -hmm. So Haiti is like that right now for us. We feel the president would never been assassinated if mighty USA, um, as a friend, remain as a good friend and partner and 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 value uh, the life of the Haitians the way they the way they should, the way they used to, um, even though. I mean, some generations might say different. They might say, well, America has always been a traitor, um, you know, as in, in, in terms of the political aspect of things. And so, um, so Haitians put it that way. In conclusion, the international community conspire against our president and assassinate him. Mm -hmm. And they say, and then if you notice also, there were about five presidents died who were very much against the whole COVID situation. Yeah. And our president is one of them. Who, I mean, Haiti, when you go, you don't have, you, we, we never had a COVID issue. Mm -hmm. We never. And we refuse to accept that we had a COVID, a COVID issue. Yeah. You, when you look at the Tanzanian, the Tanzanian president, and so he died too mysteriously um, because he too was one of them who refused to accept that they, have a, they had a COVID issue. Yeah. And I can go on and on and on. And in, in yeah. history, we say there are about five of them who just died like that. I mean, he was the, the most brutal one. The others just died, but mm -hmm. this one was brutal. Mm -hmm. So we feel strongly there are some mighty dark hands in that killing of the president. And so, but we just, uh, but we tell them God was there watching. We may not know who, but God has seen the hands. God has seen the people, the brain man behind it, um, and you name it. So yeah. that's how, how, that's the talk among us, those of us who are learned people of Haiti. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Because that's what we were watching from here. And I've joked a few times that, you know, Haiti got 99 problems and COVID ain't one. Like there's um, there's a lot of problems in Haiti. And occasionally you would see uh, some legacy media article, like the mystery of why was Haiti not stricken by COVID sooner? Like what? Uh, this this mystery of what, you know. And, and the reality is... Uh, the same is true of Tanzania, of Uganda, and all these other developing nations. And the, I think the main reason is the average death of COVID remains in the early 70s. The average mortality for someone in Haiti is what, 60, 60, 58, 60, much younger. And the point is actually, it's actually sadder than what the uh, white coats are saying. It's sadder because the average mortality rate, that by the time COVID was a real threat um, to somebody, they're already dead of a natural cause from yeah. extreme poverty. It's we actually 45 to, to 50. Okay, so 45 to 50. So there, yeah. so, and you've got uh, young people that are fit. They're, they're, there's not a, uh, an obesity problem for the no. most part in there. You know, it's uh, all of those co-morbidities uh, with COVID weren't there. But, but then, uh, by the way, the, the president of Uganda is alive and well <laughs> and yeah. thriving because he embraced these policies. One country away, Tanzania, that guy dies. Mm -hmm. And by the way... Uh, Tanzania's death toll from COVID and Uganda's death toll from COVID, no different. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 the only difference right now in Uganda is 30% of their children did not go back to school, school. Yeah. because of these these restrictions put in place by white privileged white coats 
uh, in Europe and the United States. United States. So it's interesting. So there's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we're looking out from the outside in and going, okay, what was the, uh, no question there's some sort of a conspiracy in place. The only question was who and why. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that uh, Jovenel Moise, is that he say his yes. name? You know, Haiti was one country still on the planet that recognized Taiwan as a country. Yes. And uh, as, as we've seen from John Cena <laughs> in the United States, whatever that, the China frowns upon that. It's just interesting that that's back in the news again right now. And it was an idea that was never explored. And, and, and if, if anybody in the international community is just hammering COVID policies, it's China, like hammering it in their own countries. They're still locking down yep. entire cities for no reason at all. And uh, it was, I was just curious if there was any play on that because now basically you've got a country with no president uh no election even in sight a prime minister who is impotent uh, very impotent yeah metaphorically i don't know about literally uh a police that is you know some of which are on the take and some aren't there's no um there's no hope as far as the politics of this country goes right the hope is in jesus the hope is that godly men and women raise up as leaders and the hope is that, like, the, the Bible Institute, the school in Jacques Mel, uh, the school now in uh, Port Salut, Port Salut. Mm-hmm. Um, and other brothers and sisters there are, are still continuing to disciple. Because, you know, the, the truth is, is, you know, it's David Platt, and I say it probably too much, but the easy places are taken. And I used to think of Haiti, I was so naive, I used to think of Haiti as an easy place, and I realized uh-huh. hindsight, it was actually always been pretty hard. Uh, I just, maybe I was thinking because it was such a short flight, but eventually I'm in reality going, you know, that was a lizard that just crawled across my face. This is not an easy place <laughs> while I'm <laughs> sleeping. Like, that was a lizard. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's a hard place. But Jesus uh, Jesus is needed in hard places. And, you know, for us, you know, we've got to continue to help. Like, when I think about the, the immediate challenges, it's, it's obviously food and food security. Yes, it is. Um, I wish there was a way to explain this that made – because if you haven't been, it's so hard – but literally everything bottlenecks into one place. Port-au-Prince. All the food, Port-au-Prince, all the gas, everything, everything goes there. And then from there, it goes out to the rest of the country. But it's not like there's like multiple roads. So like if I, if the main road to Chattanooga was shut down where I live, there's like 17 different back roads we could take to get to Chattanooga. That's not how it works. Not you, in Haiti. Not in Haiti. There's one road out, and these gangs have blocked these effect, these roads effectively so that if you're sending in supplies or food, they're literally standing there demanding ransom for the supplies or just stealing the supplies straight yes. up. When that earthquake happened, you know, um, the Samaritan's Purse had to literally use military uh, equipment to get their yeah. equipment to Lekai because they couldn't dr- safely get it through Port-au-Prince. Port-au-Prince. Which is why now gas is more expensive. It's why food is more expensive. Yes. And yet... Our brothers and sisters there still get up every day with children, with hopes, and with dreams, and with. So, I feel like what we're in right now is a survive until we can thrive moment. Like this is the journey we're on. We're we're gonna keep looking towards a thrive, but right now we got to survive. We got to keep our friends alive, which is food, water, medical care, Mm -hmm. and education. By the way, yes, Um, keeping those kids in school. Very, is very important. Very us. important. Not just it is for the future, but even for now, because a little girl who's not in school, she's at risk for sexual assault. Very much. At risk for trafficking. At risk for abuse. So keeping her in school. That's why I'm. I'm literally furious at 
shutting down internationally schools. I'm just, I, I don't know. If someone asked me well, who I'm mad at, I don't know who I'm mad at, I'm, but I know who I'm mad for, and I'm mad for Somebody kids whose futures were stolen. Um, so we got to keep these schools open. And right now, Jacques Mel, we got uh, Restoration Academy, which is yes. how many students right now? Uh, we have um, almost 400 students um, last year. So this year, we this new academic is about, we, we believe we're going to have almost reach 450. Uh, because we are opening for new kids to come in and we just get also um, the result for grade 9 examination that's an official examination in the entire nation of haiti and um we have a hundred percent our kids made it um hundred percent of their kids of the national kids. standard test yes in the middle of gang warfare disaster all over the place the kids your academy like excelled so they say that in jack mel the name rca become the buzz of the town because uh, the yeah, town? yeah because we really doing well uh, you know, uh, so we believe we might have around 450 kids for this new school year. Yeah, and, th- um, and these and these students are what age? Is this elementary? No, they they we start from PK one, which we call um the little peanuts, two year old. Little peanuts, little cute, yeah. cute. Yes, <laughs> because um in our community we ne- as you to as I said before we never had um, schools that are starting so young. Um, the kids when they get to seven years old they get to school or six year old um if they happen and some the first child we put to school was twelve, never been to school before, so which is now um nineteen years later we have kids that are two year old. Um, so we have kids now finishing high school at the age of 17, at the age of 18, yeah. which is unheard of in 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 this in this in it's the remote areas of Haiti. Yeah. So now those little peanuts begin at two, so we have two, three year old, and up to five year old. They start K five, and they go to grade one. So we have now from grade one to grade nine, and this year academic year 2022 20, 23, um, we we opening um, grade 10, 10th grade, which is kind of sophomore. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So we are adding one grade every year. That's for our school. Yeah, it um, started with just the peanuts. Just the peanuts of two-year-old Then we went the next year, we went to the next grade, and then yes. we added another grade, and here we are you know, 12 yeah. years later, whatever, with grades. So and we have... begin in Posali. Posali is after the earthquake of last year. So there's a little town outside of Lakai, which is about a three-and-a-half, four-hour adventurous drive. Yeah. Um, mostly safe, mm-hmm. uh, where there's a new school that we have just launched. Yeah, so the same thing. We want to multiply it. We think... It's working in Jackmel. It can be working in other parts of Haiti where the same problems are. So that's what we are using. Yeah. And the feeding program uh-huh. is still active. Oh, yes. Oh, what does we, that look like? You, you <laughs> think we can kill that more? <laughs> if we kill that, we kill many people. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that, it's still active, but it's growing, It's right? growing. Um, so what that, does that, that look like in, in a sense, in, in total, we, have, um, we say our school feeding program, the church feeding program, uh, Brown Tonier, that's another school feeding program. In Kaufu, feeding program. Yeah. In Posali, feeding program. So in a sense, the feeding program, no, you know, this is multiplying. Yeah. Because that has become uh, <clears throat> the, the fun thing to do to keep people alive physically, which is, yes, we got to feed them also. And they, even the Bible is very real about that. Yeah. So um, in terms of growth, it's going big time. So when we used to feed probably 50 when we just started the way back then, yeah. but now we, we're feeding thousands. Yeah. So it's, and when we used to have meals just once a week, twice a week, but now it's five times a week, which is Monday to Friday. So yeah. it's a lot, except in Port Salut, we started, we were giving them food um, twice uh, a week, which is uh, on Mondays and on Wednesdays. But we are saying this academic year, we're going to start with five meals uh, for the week, which is Monday to Friday. Yeah. So it's um, 
it's a whole um, different thing. And these kids are thriving, and you could see some of them were tiny, 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 they had on yeah. their weight. And now they're looking good. And um, even those that are slim body built, and the, the doctors, because we have clinics, the doctors are saying, I mean, they, they're looking good, and they're trying to check their BMI. They're perfect. So yeah. we think it's a great thing, and they're getting the spiritual food, but also the natural food that caused them to even get more excited about getting the spiritual food. Because what could I tell you about Jesus when you're hungry? I mean, you will not be able to listen to me, even if you pretend that you're listening, but you will not hear me really. Yeah. And when it comes to education, one of the things that, medical science and doctors know is that your brain requires calories to function yes and a child who is undernourished means their brain is undernourished in the same way that their muscles and their arms are there but their brains are undernourished and so it's one of the reasons the the, the amazing uh, level of education the class level of the teachers that you've hired and also the that they're getting food that actually feeds their brain physiologically puts them in a position to excel for the future and we can't, you're right, we can't quit it. We just no. can't. And it's it's getting more expensive. And there are moments I'm looking at this map going, dear Lord, like what, uh, how do we even do this? And and the answer is, is we just keep putting one foot in front of the other. Like we just keep yes. serving one the food step at a time. and trusting that Jesus is going to provide. And, you know, in America, it just sort of it, uh, it goes against everything we know because you're supposed to put a 10-year plan in place and then <laughs> execute the plan. And great. But when you're in a country or a place where I don't know what next year is going to be, how do you plan for 10 years if we don't know who the president's going to be? We don't know if everybody's going to speak in Chinese in 10 years. We don't know if it's drug gangs or whatever. But we know right today the right thing to do is these children are hungry. These children need an education. And a transformed community, even in the middle of a dark place, the idea is I think discipleship like that can literally change a country from the inside out. I strongly believe that. Yeah, it's a long play. It's a long-term investment. Um, but Jesus didn't call us to go and transform nations. He, he called us to go and make disciples, which are transform people, and then just let the transform people do what, they, what God has called them to do. And, of course, the hope is, is that they would transform their, their nations. Yes. We've, we've seen it in places like Uganda. We've seen it in places like uh, West Africa. And we see, we see it in America. You know? And we've also, by the way, seen the results of what happens when a godless society and it's not lost on me that um, the, the Haitian country was born out of the slavery from a godless yes. nation. Um, a lot of people don't realize this, but France at one point, they were so godless for a hundred years. I have to Google this uh, to, to remember exactly. But there was a long period of time where they eliminated the seven-day work week mm -hmm. and made it 10-day because the only place you can justify a seven-day work week is from the uh, Judeo-Christian Judeo background. Mm -hmm. And by the way, destroyed their economy in the process of a uh, 10-day work week. Turns out God knew what he was doing when he designed the seven-day work week. <laughs> Man. But when you throw a godless society uh, over a, a group of people, the, the, what they did to, uh, to, the, to the slaves that they unjustly and cruelly and mercilessly uh, treated, uh, and, and I actually respect to the New York Times for even reporting this, um, once, once you guys overthrew... You know, somebody did a head count at some point going, man, these French, well, there's way more of us than there are them. And these guys sit around like drinking hot tea with their pinky out. We could take these people. Um, overthrew them. But then because the French Navy forced Haiti to pay yeah. uh, reparations yes. of what would be in today hundreds of it, millions of dollars, it, right? It, it's it's uh, about um, 20 to $25 billion dollars. Equivalent today. I don't Today's know. Time. Most people don't know that. The New York Times did report this, but 
back in the 1800s, 1900s, Haiti at a time when they desperately needed, were paying billions of dollars in today's dollars back to France for the quote unquote privilege of being free, being free. and set, set you guys back, you know, 25 yards in a hundred yard dash. Uh, and those things have consequences over generations and the godlessness of it. So the point being, we see what a godless nation can do and the, we also can see what a God, you know, a full of God group of people can do in a nation. And that's what we're, our hope is for, for Haiti. And every time we talk about that, that preparation, um, the squeeze Haiti harder. Every time uh, any leader, any person in Haiti that raised that up, they squeeze us harder, the international community. Um, because in reality, it was an injustice, and they know it's a big injustice. And they, it is alleged, um, well, it is, you know, if they allow Haiti to talk about this thing until, until it comes to pass, other nations going to arise and demand certain things that happen from slavery. Um, and so to, to be awarded for different things like that, to be rewarded. So, but nevertheless, um, just as you mentioned there, Diane, um, yes, Haiti, had come. we came from that dark world. Um, but you know what, today time, um, if you take away all the Christian agencies, you take away all the, the Christian churches, you take away all the, the Christian schools and everything you name it, Haiti will be at the doomest. Uh, they, they will be doomed to the highest level. Why? Because most of these agencies, uh, most of the things that are helping people, the clinics and the schools, uh, um, the feeding programs, and and you name it, they are all Christians. So in a sense, um, we always say empty vessels make plenty noise. Um, because the, the, the voodoo <laughs> empty people... Empty vessels make plenty of noise? Yeah. Wow. So the voodoo people, wow. they are right now in about 17 to 20% of, of the nation. And we have nothing against people as, as that's your religion, whatever. But don't fight me down for what I believe. Because yeah. my belief is that Christ is the hope of nations. And we are promoting him everywhere we go. So if you think of what they call nominal Christians in Haiti with what they call evangelical Christians, you will see Haiti will be like 52 to 55% Christians, if you think it that way. Mm. When you think of nominal Christians, I have a lot of the Catholics, of course, sure. the, 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 the Methodists and others, um, Anglican, which is the Episcopal, um, you name it. So if you put all of us in that one package, we say we are Christians. So in a sense, um, we are the one making it happen for the people of Haiti. So we prove that the dark guys, those magicians and those voodoo priests, we feel they don't do anything to help. Because when you could put a spell on a child, let that child be damaged for life. When you put a, sm a spell on, on, on a man and let that man be crippled for life and, and stuff like that. When you put a spell on a child, the child cannot really perform in school. So, you know, whatever. No, but when, so when Christ comes now, he set you free from all these things. And that freedom he gives you, you can actually be free to help others to be free. That's what happened to my family, to myself. When I become free uh, as, a, as a child in Haiti who get to know Jesus in my youth, then now I take that same freedom and I go out there and make all the disciples. As he say, you go into the world, make disciples. So I was discipled. So now I'm making the disciples and my disciples are making disciples. And that's what we are seeing happen. And this is why we so passionate about what we do. And we are pushing for it all the way. We tell people, no matter what you are saying, I don't care about your belief. But all I care about is that Christ has always been, he is, and he will always be the hope of every nation that give him a chance to penetrate them. Wow. If that doesn't get your heart beating, 
you need to check your pulse at right? this point. In my Apple Watch, I'm waiting for the heart rate to come off on my alarm here. That should fire <laughs> you up. Pastor LaFleur, it's just been an honor to have you as part of our podcast today. And uh, you're going to be with us uh, on Sunday. On Sunday, yes. Yeah, share just a little bit more. And in p- perhaps you're listening, this is the first you've heard about the work that's uh, been taking place in Haiti. Uh, we would love for you to, to learn more. And we have uh, a website that details everything out and how you can support some of the efforts that are that we have in, in Jacmel. Conduitmission.org. Conduitmission.org. And you can uh, kind of peruse the website there. You can click Haiti and see all the different things that are happening there, specifically um, for, for classroom teachers and uh, the feeding program and some other opportunities there there's so much happening uh, we didn't even we didn't talk about all of it today oh, no. um, that's a glimpse yeah <laughs> yeah just kind of scratched the surface of some incredible ministry that's generational that is uh, transforming communities um, a generation at a time and, and it's not like we get in we get out no we're there to stay um, these, you. like you've said Darren like these these are our friends so we're not going anywhere and so we're we're always looking to introduce you to our friends and so part of that is is having our good friends visit us here um, and as well feature them on our website so that you can support in whatever way that makes the most sense. For for this Sunday, Darren, we are uh, we're going to give Pastor LaFleur an opportunity to share, and then we're launching into a new sermon series. Book of John. The Book of John. These things were written, John chapter 20, verse 31, I've written these things that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the son of God, and that by believing in him, you might have life. Like our culture right now, you you don't have to spend much time on social media to know that we are surrounded by people that believe that Jesus is a good teacher. Like lead singers of famous Christian rock bands saying, well, you know, I mean, I don't really, Jesus isn't, you know, I, I, I choose to believe that Jesus is all like good teacher, good prophet, whatever, you know, uh, the trouble is, is Jesus didn't believe that about himself. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's not going to be just an apologetics series, but underneath of everything, uh, the culture that John was writing about Jesus, his best friend in, is really not that different from our culture today. So it's super informative, and I don't know, it'll probably take us five or six years to get through it. Well, how, how long do you think it will take us? Oh, to get, uh, is this going to take us to Easter, you think? Oh, which one? Like 2025? <laughs> oh, next Easter. How many chapters are in the... In 21. 21 chapters. Well, it's technically 20, but then like 21 is like an epilogue or uh, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so technically 21. But man, I'm not going to get past verse 5 this week. Yeah. Yeah, we're not afraid to take our time to go through a book series. Yeah, right? I mean, we the Word of God is for our... And the thing is, when you go through the Word... What you find is that Jesus himself is quoting the word, so you're not just in that book. You end up all over the that's right the Bible because Jesus, you know, again, people who say that oh, the Bible, this, the Bible, that. I love Jesus, but you know, Jesus quoted the Bible, and the Bible he quoted is the one that you are the uh, that you hate the most. You know, the the Torah, the Old Testament, is one that he when he spoke of. So, yeah, it's going to be. I'm actually pretty excited about it. Yeah, we are. We're really excited for this this next sermon series. Again, thank you, Pastor LaFleur. Thank you. Thank you for spending time with us, and thank you for always tuning in each and every week. 